I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. Welcome to the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller, and this is episode 24 I'm sitting in the studio right now, and I am on day 31 of self-quarantine. I have been out of the house a few times to go to the grocery store, and I've been to a burrito place up in Vancouver that's doing takeout a couple of times as a special treat for the family. But otherwise, pretty much just here in the house and the studio, which is a separate building. And I have to say that I feel very privileged to have a separate building to go to. And that's where I am right now in the White Tiger studio recording the intro to episode 24 This episode features the last face-to-face interview I have done for this year. My guest was Peter Toll, who is a longtime organizer and activist for the Democratic Party. He is currently the campaign coordinator for the Democratic Party of Clackamas County. And he was here before the coronavirus came to us. And so we spoke about politics as usual. I actually also recently interviewed him for my campaign class, a guest lecture interview over the telephone. That interview is linked in the show notes if you want to listen to me talking to him from the quarantine version of what politics looks like from his perspective. After you listen to his interview, you'll probably be able to tell why he sees things very differently right now. Face-to-face politics is pretty much everything in Peter's world, and he's now had to figure out a way to do politics in a world where face-to-face just isn't an option anymore. I'll talk a little bit more about this and about what I'm going to do for my next episode after the interview. For now, let's just have Peter Toll. So I'm in the studio today with Peter Toll of the Democratic Party of Clackamas County. And what is it that you do, Peter, for the Democratic Party? For the Clackamas Dems, I'm in charge of making sure that we elect Democrats at the local level from legislature on down and Congress, of course, as well. But I'm the, I'm the chair of the campaign committee. You're involved with candidates. Candidates, campaigns, interest groups, all those sorts of things that help someone get elected. It's a very, it's a very social business. Now, you've been in politics for quite a while. <laughs> I, I would like to go back to the beginning and ask you how it is that you got involved in politics in the first place. And, and at what age, what activated you? Well, I was, and my sister just sent me a photo of myself and my siblings with some other kids and their moms when I was 12 years old and we were out doing a thing for a city council candidate in in LA. I grew up in LA. So you come from a political family? Political family. My dad was active in the union and my mother's family ran newspapers in Indiana. 
So would you say that your politics today are roughly similar to the politics of the family you grew up in, or did you evolve away from that in some way? No, they're they're the same. When you start enacting the things that you're talking about and seeing, and they become impactful in your own life, such as union work or non-work or being locked out, then that leads to questions, well, how come and what if? Then you wind up saying, well, whose side am I on here? It's literally a pick a side. And so you've stayed on the same side all these years. I have. I have. In fact, if anything, I've gotten more uh, drastically liberal, and that's a term I'm proud of. So what first got you involved in what we might think of as official capital P politics campaigns, activism? I was, I was working for a newspaper. I was the youngest, it turns out, managing editor of a daily newspaper in the country at this age. I was 23 and something, I think. I don't remember. And uh, I got a phone call. I had been active in the local party, just going to meetings and stuff, and it was a, but it was all largely dotted line. And this person called me up and said, uh, how would you like to run a political campaign for a guy running for the legislature? And I said, well, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. And one thing led to another. And I made the move from uh, newspapering right into politics. And was that a natural move, or did you have a lot of learning to do? It was pretty natural on the one hand. On the other hand, I was green as grass. I didn't understand a thing. I had to learn everything. I had to figure it all out. It's the old, where are you going to get the votes? Why are they going to vote? How can we make them vote? It was an empty seat. And did you get support from the local Democratic Party for this learning curve, or did you have to basically teach yourself? No, the local Democratic Party was, as many are, pretty much just uh, meeting once a month and shaking fists at one another pleasantly and and then going and doing little projects. It's not that way in Clackamas County, for example. Now, it is still in a lot of Democratic areas because the way the structure is set up, the Democratic Party per se, or Republican Party, the grassroots are out there in the brush for everybody to take advantage of. They don't really bring a lot of money to the table. They don't. All they bring are bodies. And what we're trying to do, if I can swing this a little bit, in Clackamas County is... We're trying to say we don't have a lot of money. And the reason that people need a lot of money to run for, for election is because they need to get their message out. Well, what if we hand carry that message? What's the most effective way to convey a message to someone? It's not in the mail or through a newspaper ad. It's eyeball to eyeball, neighbor to neighbor. For example, for years, Clackamas County had five members of the Oregon House who were D's and five members who were R's. Now we have eight D's and two R's. And the people who got elected were the only ones in the state who replaced Republicans in an election. So three Republicans lost their elections in the legislature, and they were all from our county. How did you pull that off? What, was the, what would you say is the prime factors that enabled you guys to do that? We had 600 people on the streets. And where do you get that kind of energy? That's great energy. We have a program that says, I'm going to have you talk to 50 people. Oh, but wait, they're all going to be in your neighborhood. And they're all going to be in your party. And we're not going to persuade anybody. We're just going to give you a slate card. And it's going to say, here's who we recommend. And you urge the person to vote. And the turnouts that we're seeing, where I said 80 is a typical turnout for like presidential, 
In some of those areas, we would have a 90% turnout. Our best was a 97.5. And you're not doing persuasion. You're just providing a simple piece of information to people and a human contact. That's right. And just reminding them without saying it's your civic duty to stand up and say, here's your chance to be countered. I hope you'll join me in voting on whatever the date may be. So this is a podcast about outrage. And one of the things that I'm always interested in finding out is what impact does people's outrage about the world and about politicians and about politics, what kind of impact does it have on their political activity? Do you find in your experience that people who are outraged tend to be easier to activate and energize? Or do those people find politics to be itself too much of an outrage and they stay away? Well, there's a common mistake that politics is an intellectual exercise. And it's not. It's emotional. And if people get involved and excited that makes them want to do something. They're self-motivating. At the same time, we have a whole bunch of people who have come forth because they can't stand Donald Trump. They think he's the antithesis to our way of life. This is a blue state. But if that's what's going to get them to go out and talk about our county commission candidates, if you will, or our local legislative candidates then fine. And do you find that you can turn Trump outrage into positive activism on the part of local races and county commissioners and state legislative races? You can when it manifests, when the Trump stuff manifests locally, like Tea Party. The Democratic Party in Clackamas County was very lackadaisical for a long time. And then the Tea Partiers came in and won a majority on our county commission and put some legislators in place that we didn't feel uh, very good about. And the way that they were running the government made them vulnerable to people who are conscientious about the way government is run. If people are concerned, they'll often act, even if it's just to cast a ballot. And we have an 80% turnout in Oregon. It's in the top five in the country. As far as applying the national, I have a couple of people that we're working with and it's all volunteer, I want to make that clear, who are involved because of Trump. They're running for office at a local level because of Trump. He outrages them so much. Most attention is focused on politics at the national level. D.C. is the, is the center of the universe. Yet you're working at the local and state and county level. How do you focus people's attention on the community issues that are right in front of them that they often don't see because so much of the oxygen in our media landscape is taken up with national politics. One of the problems that has helped create that problem, if there is a help to create a problem, is the lack of newspapers and the lack of people who are paying attention who are in turn paying attention. So while you may have an active program in political science at the college level, we find people at the local level are not getting the depth in elementary and in high school that they once got, A, and B, there's no reinforcement in a daily newspaper on your door or whatever. Newspapers, regardless of what the usual critics will say, before you write something down, you better have it together. It's not like radio or television or even this medium where you can just start mouthing off. If you're going to put something in writing, that means it counts and people are going to count on it. Well, we don't have that check and balance anymore. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. 
We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. There's a lot of bemoaning in our contemporary society that low voter turnout and citizen disengagement, that we have dwindling democratic engagement among our citizenry. Part of what you're talking about here is how to get people engaged and activated. Do you feel as though there's a problem in our political society with dwindling engagement, or is it just that it's publicized and made visible in the media, but its grassroots energy is similar to... 10 years ago, 30 years ago? What's your assessment? Well, it all depends. In the stuff that I've been doing Oregon politics since the 1970s, the engagement level isn't a whole lot different than it ever was. However, you're finding people, for example, and this started with Ronald Reagan's trickle down, union people are voting for Republicans. They're not getting the message the right way. The union will endorse someone at a high level and all the membership will vote against that person. Why do you think that's happening? I know that that has been a big trend for the last 30 years, 40 years, and it certainly has made things more difficult for the Democratic Party to win elections when you would think that most of the people in a particular area, their material interests are aligned with Democratic policies. And I've heard from a lot of Democratic operatives, everybody voted their material interest, we would win every election all the time. That's a yes and no. It's a twofold question. And the, and the larger side of it is they don't know. They don't understand. They don't know what it means to go on strike. They don't know what a strike stands for other than them losing money. Those sorts of principles are getting lost, and it all becomes about the me, me, me. One of my favorite quotes says, vote your own self-interest, but wait. Your enlightened self-interest. That's an FDR quote. Anybody can vote their self-interest. And, oh, self, that means selfish. Enlightened means you're thinking of others and the impact of your vote and the people you're putting in office rather than just your own material sense. So is it getting more challenging to get people to vote their enlightened self-interest than it was back in the 70s and 80s? Sure. And why do you think that is? Because there's less money to go around and more people want it, need it. And if that's the way we wind up measuring success in our culture, this explains the big gap that's developing. The rich are getting richer and and the poor are not only getting poorer. There are more poor people and fewer high-end people. And I know people on all ends of the spectrum. I, I do not take this personally. I do not shake fists at any of them. But... You, it's, it's interesting to see the people who have a lot of money who give it away. Ironically, they don't give it to political people who would be able to say, you know, go get in office and make the changes that we need. You know, you get the Warren Buffets who say, raise my taxes. My secretary is paying the same tax rate I am. Uh, again, that's federal more than anything else. And the feds are, that's a whole different movie. I'm, I'm not comfortable talking about the feds because my jaw gets real hard real fast. So I, I see a little outrage showing up, and I'm going to get to now the question I ask all of my guests. What is something that used to outrage you and no longer does, and why the change? And for you, I'll actually give you the option to flip it and say, what didn't used to outrage you but now does? Well, it's, yeah, it's twofold. And in that case, the first one is the lackadaisical attitude of people who don't get involved. That's your new outrage. Nope. 
That's an old one. That's an old one. It's been going on forever. Nothing has changed it. You'd think social media would get people up or something, but nothing changes it. And the way that I have come to grips with that is by growing older and going, well, some stuff you just can't change. Remind me what the second part is. A thing that didn't used to outrage you but now does, and why has that emerged? The lack of, I want to say, educated knowledge that's going around. People tend to overlook the basic tenets of society, look only at themselves. They're not getting the reinforcement, again, from newspapers or from, uh, we're going to have a political report now on TV and it's going to be 20 seconds. And everything's a visual. Social media, the same way. People don't read as much as they once read. I have grandkids who I have to essentially make sure they're registered to vote and their outrage at registering to vote always goes to the top it never trickles down which is another point i wanted to make we have all these people at the local level running for office they're superb but once you get past the top two or three races on a on a ticket on a ballot people fall off by the time you get to a state legislature including seats where people show up and get paid but don't show up as we have currently no they don't know those people they don't care and do they leave them blank they leave them blank or they write in mickey mouse or something but that's and and the rules used to be you had to count all those they don't count them anymore yeah they leave them blank and so the onus is on the local people like me and every other democratic party in the state local without any money we're all volunteers is to uh, help them understand that there is something that can be done. There are things we can do. I like your perspective on politics because it really shows what it takes to get votes and to get people connected and to get people activated at this local level where things really do count and you can have an impact. I'm going to give you a chance here right before we leave to just give some advice to young people who want to have a positive impact on their community and to be able to contribute some of their energy in a way that you would find to be useful and not wasteful. What would you say is your advice? You would be amazed, I would say, to a 16-year-old or a 40-year-old at how much influence you can have in your own community and in the legislature by getting involved with these people firsthand. If you go to your state legislator, figure out who it is, do a little homework. I know the social media is helpful there on how, what, they're, what they stand for. And then figure out, how can I help that person? Because as soon as you help that person, they're going to start listening. Who do they listen to besides the lobby, whose job is to influence them? They listen to people who do what? Help them get elected. That's their base. Those are the people they have to keep satisfied. If they turn their back on their base, they don't have a chance to stay in office. So I'm going to make it easier for people to find this. I'm going to put in the show notes for this show some links that will help people find out who their state legislators are and help them find their county Democratic and Republican Party offices so that whichever side they're on, they can find people like you and they can get involved because that seems to be the thing is just find out as you say get off your duff which is i love that expression people to want to get off their duff but they don't necessarily know where to go so i'm going to provide some links and i really want to thank you for coming into the studio today peter i love your perspective and i myself feel very energized (laughs) 
Well, that's the episode for this week. I'd like to thank, as always, my guest, Peter Toll. Thank him for that interview as well as for the guest lecture interview he did for my campaign class. And again, if you're interested in hearing Peter's perspective from the point of view of politics in a pandemic lockdown, you can get the link to that in the show notes. I'm very grateful to all of you listeners for continuing to follow along while the pandemic has occupied an awful lot of media bandwidth and a lot of our mental and physical and emotional energy. I do appreciate the fact that you continue to follow along with my take on politics. Speaking of which, next week, I'm going to have my teenage son Zane interview me for my perspective on what the coronavirus is doing to politics and what it might do to the politics of the future. So that's going to be next week's episode. Until then, I have, as always, a song to go out on. This particular song was recorded by my friend Pat, and he did a live Instagram concert from his garage, and he took requests for song titles and concepts and genres. I asked him for a song, and I asked him if he would record it and give it over to me for the podcast, and he did so. And here it is, live from Instagram from about a week and a half ago, my friend Patrick doing Nice Stash. Thanks for listening.